0: Heads up, there's cussing in this podcast. Hello and welcome to the Pub Hound Podcast. I'm Drew Whitehead and with me is Richard Porter. Say hi, Rich. Hi, Rich.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And we are coming
0: to you from the offices of Pub Hound Press in Joplin, Missouri. Uh, You can find out more about us on our website at... Press.com. Uh We hope you'll pour a drink and settle in with us for a discussion of literature, booze and uh, whatever else comes to
1: mind Speaking of booze What are you drinking, Rich? I am drinking Deschutes Black Butte Porter uh, because it's delicious and it has my name in it and that helps because I am <laughs> nothing if not a narcissist Excellent. Excellent. Uh, well,
0: uh, so I'm I'm drinking a mint julep featuring mint from my backyard and bourbon provided by our guest bartender for tonight. Uh, we have on hand Dave from Dave's Lawn Care. Say hi, Dave.
1: Hi. <laughs>
0: oh, he did it right. He did. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You're a quick study. Okay. So Dave uh, has provided us with some J.B. Weller whiskey and... Uh, It's terrific. Thank you. Um, Oh, and I'm supposed to read your phone number, which is 417-592-3572. Let Dave mow your grass while you sit on your ass. I'm glad you got that right. As opposed to the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So, on the show today, we have a very special guest who will be coming up in just a minute. That is Cody White, author of the new volume of poetry, You True, Maybe Baby. Which uh, has been out in print for a couple months now on Pubhound Press, available on our website and Amazon.com. And on
1: Amazon, yes. Yep. $10. It's a steal. Definitely a bargain. About half the price of most new collections of poetry. And we think it's
0: kind of awesome, so you'll get to hear a little (laughs) bit of that coming up soon. Um,
1: First, though, Richard. Mm Mm-hmm. What have you been up to lately? What are you reading? Ah, I've been reading Ernest Hilbert's Caligulin. Uh, excellent collection. I first read it this summer. Then he just won the Poets Prize by, uh, that was announced by some journal that I don't read and don't remember the name of. It's on the East Coast somewhere. However, uh, that led me to pick it back up. And it is, as I thought this summer, an excellent volume. And I'm enjoying experiencing that again. Sounds like a prestigious award.
2: I don't know. I don't keep track of the words.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have my head buried in the sand most all the time. Yeah, I mean, I mean. Uh,
0: what about working? What are you writing? And for those, well, yeah. for those of you that don't know that are listening to this, R- Richard and I are both poets and PubHound Press is the company that we started mm-hmm. to narcissistically publish our own poetry as well as others. But um, anyway, what are you working on?
1: I just finished um a poem that was sort of commissioned. Though that makes it seem like I'm getting paid for it. I'm not. They'll buy me a beer sometime. So yeah, I'm getting paid. I'm fine with that. Um I am also I just started work on a poem I'm kind of having fun with. Uh I, like the idea is uh Orlando from Orlando Furioso or Roland from the Roland de Chanson. Uh I think I got that backwards. I don't care. Um, but, you know, sitting in a bar, getting drunk and recounting all of his exploits, sort of half boasting, half terrified by all of the people that he has horribly maimed and rent asunder. So, I'm having so, fun with that. I mean, like a typical Friday night then. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of a lot of good drunken
0: bloody gore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Well, I'm uh, happy to say that I'm not really working on anything right now. <laughs> you're, you're happy to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I have some ideas, but uh, uh, it's been a busy few weeks, so I am happy to say that I'm not working on anything. I have been reading, though. Um, as is my habit, I tend to read several things at once, and none of them particularly frequently. Um, I jump around a lot. Uh, but right now, the thing that I'm enjoying most is uh, Love in the Time of Cholera by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who just passed. And it's it's a shame, but his writing is will go on forever, and it's terrific, I think. Uh, if, you're, if you're not familiar with it, be prepared for some whimsical um, flights of fancy and you know regular day-to-day things told as though they were... Uh, right out of a fairy tale um but it's really really fantastic i i think it's terrific anyway uh so i think that's the end of our first segment uh so let's pause welcome back to the Pub Hound podcast i'm drew whitehead and with me is richard porter and our special guest cody white say hi cody
3: Hi, Drew, Richard, and Dave.
1: Well done. Yeah, that was nice. You uh, acknowledged everybody in the room like a gentleman, <laughs> and not not an asshole. be <laughs> here? Yeah, thank you for coming. Um, and you, true, maybe, maybe this book has been a long time in coming, hasn't it?
3: It has indeed. Yeah, I started it. I don't even know how long ago. Uh, I had no sense <laughs> that I was writing a book at the time, though.
1: Well, so then, was there some point at which you kind of realized, because I've, I've seen, uh, full discretion, Cody and I are long, long, fast friends, I have seen most of these poems in their, well, maybe not infancy, unlike myself, Cody keeps things close to the vest until he's ready to share, though there's a lot of editing afterwards, but I've seen most of these poems mature over time, um, and I know there, there was some time before you started talking about it as a collection. Though, before it first uh, uh, came across our desk, I already knew it was a collection. So was there a certain point for you, like before you began thinking of it as one book and started speaking to others about it as one book, that you kind of realized these all work together? And what was it that kind of gelled that for you? I think
3: there was a, a time initially when I began writing poetry that... I had a a certain style that was, you know, just based on all the things I was reading at the time. And at a certain point, I just became dissatisfied with that style. And I knew that something had to change, and I tried a few other things. And after a while, I noticed that the the poems that I'd written recently, uh, they were really kind of doing it for me, that I'd fallen into something that was fruitful for me. And at that point, I realized that maybe I had some sort of project
1: in hand. Okay, so um, with a lot of these poems, then were you even at the beginning of their composition thinking of them as this is something that's going to work for this, or did you sort of allow it to kind of rise naturally, where you're like, this is what I'm working on now, and oh, this also works with this, and then maybe there were some that you thought this isn't quite as doesn't quite stick with this style or theme.
3: Well, it must have been more of a natural progression because uh, the lineup for the book has changed many times
1: that is true (laughs) would you like to read one of your poems for us sure i personally would love to hear brown grass it's one of my favorites if you don't mind
3: oh i'm happy to Uh, and before i dive in here i want to say uh, dave uh, the drink is very good thank you (laughs) and if i ever need anyone to cut my grass you are first on my list.
1: But it's all brown, so... I mean, money's money, so do it. But be an easy job.
3: <laughs> okay, so this is Brown Grass. The duskily remembered figures, autumn crossing the threshold on their heels, arrive from other towns and from other parts of town. The cryptic relatives that... Standing together, look like a junk drawer open sharply. Take their places after the initial shock, in the too few comfortable chairs, or in the purposed eddies of the kitchen. Listen to us chatting now. Already we found our way home. Fluids we pour in us. Moist, crispy victuals go in a circle. Ask me a question. I respond when appropriate or just when delightful. We are all as sumptuous and evil as the little cookies on the tray and the mismatched mugs of cider. Our conspiracy of crisp sounds and muted colors prompts the requisite pigskin tossing in the backyard where the not-to-be-emulated smoke, standing in jeans. And Genie's yellow smiles are no less a decoration than the hollowed gourds swelled up like mumps, in the centerpiece. We are exactly like a family in some photo you will come across in 30 years, and that will crush your heart with beauty to look upon. Our art is to hold the hour in us like a tuning fork. We have none of us had an idea that did not have us first. We have loved nothing but to be here in this hour carved of soap cadre of dissimilars in the wakes of doorbells. We forget each other's names and occupations. But we hum all alike together, year after year. We have passed the clattered wind chime houses in the cold and rusty wind to converge here in another no different in any way. We unbutton, unzip our big coats
1: and hug and say hello. We have none of us had an idea that did not have us first. That's a great line. It is. I, yeah, I am so jealous of that line. It rings. I mean, it, just, it rattles around my head daily, um, and not just because it's again being long, fast friends. We've had discussions, and this is one that often, not the line, but the idea behind it, often. Comes up in our discussions, and we won't get into an argument here. <laughs> but, what was the line again? Uh, <clears throat> we have none of us had an idea that did not have us first. Oh yeah, that is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, that's that's cute. <laughs> oh, that I think the point <laughs> is for you not to throw me off. <laughs> <laughs> to, to make this as smooth as possible. We're all professionals here, Richard. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it's Jesus. I don't know where to go from there, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a question. Uh,
0: so, you, so you were you talked about how your style was a reflection of others that you were reading at the time who. I'm I'm not, honestly, I'm not familiar with your poetry outside of this book, because we haven't been friends as long, Um, but who, what other poets were you reading at the time that influenced Mm. you?
3: Well, uh, probably around the time I wrote that, I was probably reading a lot of Ashbery and Merwin, Uh, John Ashbery and uh, W.S. Merwin, Uh, still two poets I like and return to a lot, Um, and I I'm not positive the circumstances of my writing that one but I can, I can hear that it's that phase a little yeah. bit Yeah. cool yes
0: <laughs> <laughs> well good, good guys to model yourself after at
1: least Merwin I'm not as familiar with Ashbury I think early Ashbury um, early to mid later he gets a little samey
3: Houseboat Days, that's
1: the one. Oh, yeah, Houseboat Days. Yeah,
3: That might be, because that, that was, was the first one I ever read, and it tends to be the first thing you read just kind of sticks with you. And Yeah.
1: You know. Well, it's my first experience with Ashbury, too, thanks to you. Um, I remember I was just this young, lost pup around Southern's mm-hmm. campus when Joy, Dr. Dworkin, introduced us, and that was one of the first things uh, you introduced me to, and... To a large extent, it was one of my first um, real forays into poetry. I mean, up until that point, I had always kind of wanted to be a m- novelist. Um, and then beginning to read that, I kind of switched course. So,
3: Well, Ashbery certainly opened my eyes to some things that poetry could do that I hadn't realized it could be before. And I'm sure that he was a shaping influence.
0: That's a nice way... To think about poetry, I think, is, like, it can do many things. And I'm not sure that people that don't read or write poetry know that or think of it that way. Yeah. You know, they they tend to think of it as, well, that's how you write a letter to someone that you love or what have you. A card for your mother, but you don't accomplish much else. But that's obviously not at all true.
3: Right. That's something that I think about sometimes. Uh, or that I've said, what is a poem? A poem is some words on a page that you call a poem.
1: It is a virtual playground, basically. It's, yeah, it's this large, expansive, flat space where you build things up around it. Um,
3: I think all three of us have different styles, and they're all
1: poetry, so. Yep, I agree with that. So one of the, uh, <laughs> I was building up to something uh, before your wonderful joke. <laughs> um, this poem in particular always strikes me. Um, maybe not as much as one we might have you read later, but that you know, our uh, we have none of us had an idea that not did not have us first. And throughout this this poem, there are so many moments where. There is this uh, sort of this schism, this dichotomy between like a longing for something that is genuine and this sort of illusory sort of this is what what we have, this is what we do, and this is what is genuine, where there doesn't necessarily seem to be anything to prop that up. Um, You can see it in even the way that you uh, listen to us chatting now. Already, we found our way home. Fluids we pour in us, moist crisp speed victuals go in a circle, ask me a question, I respond when appropriate, or just when delightful. Like, we, we're doing these things by rote, but at the same time that we're doing these things by rote, there is still this sort of longing for that as well. Um, while While this is, you know, this hour carved in soap, it's also... You know, something that will crush your heart with beauty to look upon 30 years down the line when you see the photograph. Um, and I find that to be a theme that often flows throughout all of your work. Um, this, say that's yeah, this longing for something that that is real um, in the midst of all these things that you can't necessarily find anything to back up that it is a genuine thing. Um, and at times it seems that you also maybe come to a bit of... Um, I've lost the word. That's unfortunate.
3: <laughs> well, I'll, I'll break in here and say that it, it could just be that I'm a very confused person. <laughs> <laughs> That's my sort of ongoing theory. Um, yeah, um, I don't know. I think that for me, when I write... I don't necessarily have a a conclusion that I'm driving towards, but more I'm posing a question for myself, and I'm exploring it as I go. I think that I'm I tend to be a fairly improvisational writer, mm-hmm. and sometimes I, I think that's a a bad thing, but other times I think that that enables me to surprise myself as I go, and if it's if it's organic and uh, thrilling for me then I hope that will transfer to the reader as well
1: so then when you begin something does it always start as this sort of question that you have or this a concept that you're trying to think through and then sort of like frost you're like okay this is this ice cube writing its own melting and it just kind of let it go or do you are you perhaps a bit more specific in, in what you're trying to accomplish while you are or what you're trying to express?
2: Well,
3: of course, there's um, there's the initial writing and then there is the revision phase. And I think probably oftentimes I find out what I said in the revision phase. And from there, I go back and you know, sharpen it and make sure that I'm saying it a little bit more. Uh, but, you know, my poems come out of the the things that I just think about day to day. I think, uh, I hope that they're, they're not too far out. I think that these are just the sort of questions that we all have about life. Um, everyone has, you know, maybe a different set of questions, but uh, these are the ones that kind of animate me. I,
0: I like what you said there about in the revision phase, you find out what you said. It's like and that and that goes along with this idea about the line we mentioned earlier where that you didn't have an idea that you've never had an idea that didn't have you first like the poem had you almost before you knew what the poem was doing yeah and then when you went back so so in your revision then do you find that you are fine-tuning what you say or that you're just adding to what you say or are you changing what you say
3: I'm sure at different times, it's, it's any or all of those, but for the most part, um, or at least I like to tell myself that I'm fine-tuning what is, what's already there, but that just needs a more pristine uh, expression than my initial writing of it gave it. Um, and a, a lot of times, uh, it will just sort of flow out of you in this almost perfect shape, and uh, you won't have to do much revision to it at all. In fact, sometimes the, the, the line that ends up sort of powering the rest of the poem, you know, term, becomes the engine for the poem, is the one that just flows out of you and you don't know where it's from. Mm-hmm. And everything else seems to flow out of that line. Uh, but the rest of it, you know, you will have to shape. Uh, you'll have to find your way through it. And to be honest, a, a poem is as thorny as real thought is. You know, I don't think there's always a perfect through line to, to any poem. A lot of it has baggage that's carried along with it, and um, that's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. That's a good thing.
0: I wonder if Richard has that same feeling. I, I, I feel like I can relate to what you said, where sometimes it just flows out of you, and, then, and you may have to correct everything, you know, work harder on everything that goes around it, but the line that really makes the poem is the one that just sort of arrived of its own accord uh, but being a formalist, Richard, can you huh. can you say that that is true or um, less so for you?
1: Well, no. I mean, it happens in formalism as well. I mean, every now and then something pops out in perfect iambic pentameter, or as more often the case with me, iambic tetrameter. Um, something kind of pops out, and you're like, "Oh, that's good." And maybe you have to like switch something, or even say, "Well, maybe the substitution." works or maybe this doesn't you have to kind of smooth it out. But I often find for me it's more of like a, a starting sort of line. And sometimes it drives the entire poem, sometimes it doesn't. Like um the poem I just wrote for my friend Brandy, that's the person who commissioned this poem. Like the very first line is actually what it started with, like Everywhere but here is hell. And that is definitely the engine of the entire poem. Though within the poem that might kinda of get a little bit lost. Until you find, you know, what actually happens within the poem with the person being shot. But... Don't give it all away. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I doubt anybody here will ever see it. Or, Or anybody that's possibly listening to this will ever see it. But, yeah, I mean, sometimes... Sometimes yes, sometimes no. For me, there's often a first line. Sometimes it becomes the engine. Sometimes it's just something that other things blossom from and another engine is created
3: dave can i have some more of that
1: (laughs)
2: my pleasure yes
3: please
0: (laughs) as mentioned before our guest bartender this time around is dave (laughs) from dave's lawn care sit on your ass while dave mows your grass or something like that uh, and the number to reach him is... I don't think Drew's had enough Because he has not transposed that yet 417-592-3572 That's dangerously close to my phone number So hopefully I didn't actually Transpose any numbers there So you're not calling me to cut your grass Because I'm not going to do it
3: We need to edit in a, like, a phone ring right now <laughs> uh,
0: Is it? Is it maybe time to hear another poem? I would love to Sure uh,
1: Donna was what? her name?
3: Yes Um Okay, I realized. Yeah, do. yeah I, I realized uh, after I started the the other one that I should have said some uh, prefacing remarks about it. But oh well, I don't really have anything to say with this one, so I'll dive right <laughs> in again. <laughs> Donna was her name. Uh, the only thing I guess I would say about that is that is uh, the title is taken from a Richie Valens song. In the late hour of the infomercials, I piloted my headlights down the miserable byways. Below country bridges, the creeks were indistinct from the woods at either end and were the deepest strata of night. Trash and eyes were yielded up for an instant, as if by depth charges. Up on the signs, even the smiles had the look of the unkempt backsides of things. Who was I thinking of that summer? She was in me like a ghost waiting to be born. Light showed her beautiful body from nowhere. To think of not touching her was sweeter than to think of touching her. I must have gone that way in the dark to be closer to the distance between us. I must have tasted her like mildew and darkness on the pages of your ancient Hardy Boys and comic books. The dream girl and the real one were at odds, but not now, not when one was asleep and the other was every sensation that didn't reach me. I am the moon, mouthed the dusty cobweb moon in my mind's eye. I am the chasm of a mailbox. I am crumpled food trash on your floorboard. We are like doors and windows that withdraw with her. Nothing is ever so much the thing as that which isn't.
1: This entire poem reminds me of something you said close to when we first met. Um, and you told me that if uh, if you want to write an orange poem, write a blue poem. <laughs> um, along those lines, nothing is ever so much a thing as that which it isn't. This, you know, moving in the opposite direction to find what it is you are really looking for. And again, I mean, to go back to that idea of, you know, searching for this genuine Emotion or genuine thought, this genuine experience, you often seem to move towards these opposites. Like so many of the poems in this collection um, have this sort of trashiness almost in them at times or this attempt to just eviscerate all these things that people hold dear, but it's always in this attempt to move towards some sort of truth that you don't necessarily always find but at times that's that search becomes its own sort of genuine loving experience that you can hold on to
3: trashiness yeah
1: trashiness yeah it's well trashiness. no i mean that that last bit <laughs> i am the moon mouth, the dusty cobweb moon in my mind's eye i am the chasm of the mailbox etc it's it's like a trashy Panpsychism there. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know. Maybe trashiness is maybe taking a step too far. But like
0: normalness or like basicness, to to borrow a word from the vapid teenage girl society. Uh, like yeah, it's it's kind of it's basic, but it's but it's basic in a way that really like speaks to an appreciation for basicness you know like mm-hmm. pancakes are awesome because they're pancakes and you can make them in a second on a Saturday morning and it you know and that's great it doesn't have to be a three course French dinner it can just be pancakes you know and and I think that I don't know maybe maybe I'm talking to 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 uh, too much here and not letting Cody elaborate when he should be
3: well I think I'm guessing everyone here likes pancakes is anyone in the center? Okay, then it's. I'm true. a French toast man. You would be. You Formalists. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I guess I have always had this feeling that uh, when you try to hold on to something. Often you lose it, and uh, sometimes the um, the most vivid experience you have of something is the imaginative experience that you you have around it, rather than the actual experience that you have of it. And
1: uh, and the best way to sort of procure, or maybe not procure, but to evince that experiences to experience its opposite? Well, or...
3: the best way, I'm a poet, so you shouldn't listen to anything I have to say about the best way. Well, that's true. <laughs> we don't know shit.
1: <laughs> We're all con men and liars. Mm-hmm. I, I keep coming back to the,
0: the thought about um, like, the pageantry and the ritual around Sunday morning church service. Like, It's there for a reason because it builds up around a greater experience and then when you do the thing whatever it may be uh, sing in the choir or take the communion or say the lord's prayer it reminds you it, even though that is a simple simple ritual it reminds you of the greater subject
3: i thought something along those lines last night actually i was at a, a soccer game i went to go see sporting kc It's
1: a perfect place to experience pageantry yeah. not just sporting KC, any sporting event ever
0: well I, th- I think soccer probably as much as any especially well well they more so
1: well
3: the whole thing is just drenched in ritual mm-hmm um, it definitely is from the uh, uh, sorry <laughs> I
1: had a bottle in my mouth <laughs> it definitely is from, from the
3: <laughs> uh, from the national anthem of course to the the um, uh, the military messages that are you know broadcast to the audience, uh, to the, um, uh, the even the the sort of jeers and cheers are all ritualized to an extent. Uh, everyone shouting "Yellow team sucks" when the refs do something they don't like. I got I got a kick out of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, there's there's this degree to which it's all a little bit, um, all a little bit of a put on, and all a little bit serious at the same time. And those uh, w- without that pageantry kind of deepening the process, then actually, if you just if you just washed it without any of that, it would lose a lot.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I... So I, I'm not a big soccer fan, but I love baseball, and baseball is in full swing now that it's, uh, you know, late spring. And the, baseball players are more superstitious than probably any other set of people on the planet. And it's really interesting though because it's such a, a mental process to go out and play a game and perform it perform those physical actions the same way every time it's it's interesting that that soccer because it's not a it's not as much a muscle memory kind of game although i guess some facets are some facets of it are corner kicks probably penalty kicks those kind of things i don't know i'm not not a super Super affluent. This was the first soccer game I'd ever said all (laughs) (laughs) so... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh,
2: sports. Sports. (laughs) (laughs) Woo!
0: So, (laughs) on that subject, how do you feel about the Chiefs taking a quarterback in the first round for the first (laughs) time since uh, (laughs) 1983?
1: 1983. (laughs) 1983. That's the last time they took a quarterback in the first round. Tom Blacklitch. Yeah. Cody gives a fuck.
3: Oh fuck. You yeah, started that question looking at me and Well I, I want I want
0: Cody to answer though.
3: Well that was the first time I've heard of it. Okay.
0: So then how do you feel about socks with sandals? Uh
3: sex with sandals, what? Socks with oh, sandals um. That's uh no.
0: Uh
1: maybe I need more to drink, dude. <laughs> or less. It's hard to tell at this point. <laughs>
3: Socks of sandals are great. I've I've definitely uh, definitely rocked that look myself.
1: Same here. Yeah. I have not. <laughs> that said, I mean, I would prefer to have no shoes whatsoever. So well, no one was asking you. That's true. <laughs>
0: uh, Rich, did you have did you have any other smart questions to ask? I don't think
1: I had any smart questions to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were doing a pretty good job. Okay, so so then one more before we, before we
0: take, a, take a break here and refill our glasses. Um, to which house at Hogwarts School of Magic <coughs> would you belong?
3: Oh my gosh. Um, which is the one that all the dorky people go to?
0: Uh, Dave, maybe you can answer that question. I think that's Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff.
3: Okay, I would like to think that that's not the house for me, but I suspect it probably is.
0: <laughs> okay, so I take it you're you're not uh, you're you're like Richard and I and haven't read those books.
3: I think I read. It. I did read the first one. Okay, I did read the first one. Okay,
1: <laughs> I read none of them. I, I, like a couple of weeks ago. We were hanging out with some mutual friends and they asked me what house I was from. I had no fucking clue what they were saying. And Drew piped up and said, I'm fairly certain Richard is Hufflepuff. And I did not know. I did not know what that meant. (laughs) I did not know what that meant. But I was certain I needed to punch Drew. Well, um, as it turns out, I'm Ravenclaw and I don't know what that means either. Full disclosure, I didn't really know what that meant either. I, I thought
0: it was more about like the uh, shy and awkward.
1: Which give me give me. Yeah, certainly, yeah. certainly <laughs> I am shy and awkward. But
2: <laughs>
1: even if that's what it meant, I mean, to be called that, you still want to, you know, text somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Tur- turns out we're we're both Ravenclaw, Ravenclaw. If, it, if it
0: matters. And I would guess you probably are too, based on the questions that we we. We're from we're what I understand, week. it's
1: just very bookish and studious. So.
3: Ravenclaw sounds way more awesome. Yeah, yeah,
1: it does. <laughs> it sounds like you're. We're going to go eviscerate something, right? Yeah. It sounds like fun. It sounds
0: <laughs> like Orlando or <laughs> Roland, whatever yeah. it might be being called. Okay, so with that, let's, uh, let's take a break and refill our glasses, and you should do the same, and we'll be back. In the- Welcome back to the Pub Hound podcast, and this is our last segment, the segment where we talk about the thing that has been bugging us in recent days for good or ill and we call this earworms which is appropriately called at least for this next bit that uh Richard is going to tell us about
1: Richard yeah when drew asked me about earworms i took it quite literally or at least literally you know according to popular Harlins. Bull weevils? <laughs> yeah, I have bull weevils in my head. No. Um, somehow, I don't know how, I'm not happy about it. I have the Captain and Tenniel's Love Will Keep Us Together stuck in my head. And it is fucking excruciating. I've tried everything. I've tried Mr. Bungle. I've tried Slayer. I've tried Bach. Nothing is getting it out of my head, and I kind of want to die. Like drinking's not helping; it's just horrible. If you like Captain Tamil, I'm not sorry. It's terrible, and you need to reevaluate your life. And somebody, please get this out of my head.
0: Uh, okay, so if you uh, if you have any recommendations for Richard, uh, go to our website, PubHoundPress.com. Send us an email. <laughs> Let him know what he should be listening to or drinking that will make him forget. That's, that's You know, drinking usually helps with everything. Yeah,
1: it's not now. I mean, it's my go-to. <laughs> no, it's, it's there. After morning when I wake up. Okay, uh,
0: Dave from Dave's Lawn Care. Should, I read, right. your, should I read your phone number? Oh, well, you can, you can rewind if you want to hear the phone number. Dave, tell okay. us what uh, your phone number It was a great phone is. number. <laughs>
2: I've had it for a long time. Um, Well, uh, this was actually brought to my mind by a conversation that uh, Cody and I had during the break regarding audiobooks. Um, I think we can all agree that audiobooks are good, but not every piece or even kind of literature is suitable in the audio format. Some of it you really just need to read. Um, But some of it you can listen to, and one that I've been listening to lately is the Sherlock Holmes collection. I had never read any. And they're great. They're uh, the one that I'm reading now or listening to is read by Stephen Fry, so he does a great a great job. Yeah, and each story is you know right about an hour, and so you can. uh, It's great for commutes because uh, it's entertaining, but it's not something that requires an intense focus. Uh, So that would be something I would definitely recommend. Uh, I just love how clever sherlock holmes is and how humble and amazed watson is in relating these stories to to everyone Uh, so it it's a real thrill it's also a great value because i think it's like 30 hours one audiobook yeah so it's incredible so you know audiobooks are great for commuting they're great for yard work and uh, this is one that's, that's really worth worth checking out. Who would <clears throat> actually buy that many books also? That's, yeah. a, that's a serious investment to get, mm-hmm. like, you know, 30 different Sherlock Holmes stories. Uh, but you can just buy one audiobook and there you go. And you ought to know about yard work. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, no, that's good. And, and, and yeah, I, I do some audiobooks. I recently started... Middle March by George Eliot. Oh, good on you! Yeah, and it's it's going pretty well. I I I I love basically I love anything that's read in an English accent. So (laughs) there's that. There's that. Uh, Okay, so uh,
3: Cody, what's your earworm? Well, um, so uh, recently I watched True Detective, which I uh, had been hearing about for a long time. Um, finally, decided to pick it up, and there was a scene in there that really stuck with me. Uh, the detective um, Cole, uh, who was played by uh, who is it uh, Matthew? What's his face? Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, I really think what's his face works. Yeah, <laughs> um, he uh, he talks in there about uh, M brain theory, uh, which, as he describes in the show. Uh, basically has implications about the structure of time, which just kind of have gotten stuck in my way of thinking about things lately. He he talks about time being a a flat circle, and I don't think he exactly says that in the part where he's talking about in-brain theory, but it's also relating to that. Um, Basically, the idea that uh, this is not like the core of the theory, I don't think, but it's one of the implications of the theory Uh, that all time is sort of present at the same time, and that only when you are inside of time does it appear to be that time is flowing. Uh, And actually, if you could step out, everything would sort of be eternally present at the same time. And uh, that sort of thing has always been really fascinating to me. I went and I read about uh, M-theory, and and its relation to string theory and all this stuff. But, you know, I think a lot of people... uh, Talk. A lot of people kind of get frustrated with those things, and when I when I try to talk about these topics with people, they're like, "Yeah, whatever." Uh, Yeah, um, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for demonstrating that, Richard. Um, No, I I think. But uh, I guess uh, I think we're all on board. To me, uh, I do like thinking about those kind of you know big questions about physics and cosmology because I actually do think that. Thinking about these things gives you some perspective on life that can be useful in how you go about living your life, and just you know make things more romantic and exciting. Well, that did, yeah. it would
0: certainly help you to slow down and appreciate, I would think, if you if you look at things with a a non-linear, maybe idea of just questioning what exactly it means instead of just taking it for face value. Yeah, the things that happened
3: you. Well, it's similar to um, actually an idea that Nietzsche had, uh, which I believe I can't remember what it's called—the the recurring now or something. Uh, but basically, his conception of time, which is based on a theory of his day, was that the uh, uh, all the. Uh, <laughs> Rich is giving me a
1: look. No, no, I <laughs> I just remembered the word that I couldn't find earlier. Resignation. I, I I can't believe I lost the word resignation. Okay. Were you, were you,
3: were you well feeling that, resigned yeah. to listening to me talk about Nietzsche?
1: No. You mentioned Nietzsche, and I thought Kierkegaard, and then I thought Night of Resignation, and I thought, that's the motherfucking word I needed. Yeah. Okay. Um, well,
3: now I feel all self-conscious and stuff, so you can look up Nietzsche and the recurring present or something. Sorry. But, uh, okay. I fucked it up.
1: Sorry. Yeah.
3: Oh, whatever. So, Drew, what's your earworm?
0: Oh, okay. Well, so my earworm is, uh, I attended a house concert a couple of weeks ago uh, by a band, uh, a lovely little husband and wife folk duo from Virginia called Lowland Hum, Uh, and they talked about the, they had a song, I believe it was called Sadaje, and they talked about the concept of Sadaje, which is a, a Portuguese word that means essentially a deep sense of nostalgia for a thing that maybe never existed or maybe you didn't even you can't exist or you've never known. Uh and that's a really it's a really cool idea to me. It kind of uh one of the members of the band compared it when they were talking about it to Um, maybe longing for your home country even though you've never been there or or, or your family's home country even though you've never been there and and then the other day my dad got results back from a dna test that my sisters and i bought for him for his birthday and And he's not uh, your dad no oh
2: (laughs) (laughs) that was not what i was going to say uh no, actually, it,
0: it it came back pretty much as I had imagined, which was that he, he, at least, and I want to say me, because I know it was handed down to me, at least in some part, but uh, he, his DNA largely is similar to the DNA found in people that hail from the British Isles, Great Britain, and Ireland, and... Um, I have a great affinity for those places, especially for the whiskey from Scotland and Ireland. So it's mm-hmm. a it's kind of a confirmation of of what I've always sort of felt. And uh,
1: the climate's better too. Well,
0: it's been raining a lot Cold here. So. It's nice. <laughs> but anyway, I guess it's
1: nice when you're. House isn't flooding. Sorry, Dave.
2: <laughs> Sad times.
0: I guess. Uh, I guess the point. The point I'm trying to make is those DNA tests are really cool, and I want to do it for myself now. And it kind of gives me a feeling of nostalgia, even though I don't know why. So, S-A-D-A-J-E, Saudade. S a u d a d e. I think. I think I'm spelling that right, and I think I'm saying it right. But Portuguese word for nostalgia, more or less. And anyway, I want to go to Scotland
1: so whoa <laughs> <laughs> we should go to scotland
0: so i think this is the part where we end the podcast thanks dave from dave's lawn care 417-592-3572 uh, thanks Thank cody, cody white you truly made
1: baby you should buy it
0: you should definitely buy it go on amazon or check
1: out pop um, yeah give us the money directly that would be pretty awesome cheers 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 cheers
0: Was produced and edited by Pubhound Press with music by Dan O'Connor and sounds from Creative Commons. Complete credits can be found on our website, pubhoundpress.com.